This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care in listening. This is The Relationship Review with Delcy Martin. Welcome back to The Relationship Review. Today's episode will be formatted a bit differently. We're talking today about holiday traditions, which is an incredibly broad and variable topic. Everyone's individual traditions will be so different, and I don't feel like I can begin with a case study that every one of you can identify with. Instead, I'm going to use more general examples throughout the episode, and I hope you're going to be able to see yourself reflected in them in some way. We'll have a short surprise case study to illustrate a few concepts, but there's not going to be one single case throughout the whole episode. If this makes sense to you, and even if it doesn't, let's move on to our episode. So, though I'm doing an episode titled Holiday Traditions, the images that your brain produces when I say the word holiday are culturally determined and based on your own personal experiences. Those of us with a Western Christian background will associate the word with Christmas, but of course, not everyone follows this tradition. When you listen to this episode and my thoughts on the holidays, Please know that my views and ideas of normal are coming from my own experience with my version of the holidays, and this isn't everyone's. Having said that, I've done my best to include multiple traditions and keep some of my advice general enough that you'll be able to take something that serves you from this episode. When you hear me use the word holiday, I want you to think of your, per- your own personal definition of holiday, not mine. I'm also including going on a holiday be it a destination holiday with pina coladas and sand, or going across the country to visit family, because this is how some of us choose to celebrate the holidays. No matter what tradition or culture you come from, or what holiday you connect with, there's essential elements about the holidays that ties them all together. First and foremost is the focus on family. Now, of course, the definition of family entirely depends on the person, But the idea of connecting to your family in an intentional way is what's key about the holidays. I would argue that the concept of nourishing the spirit is also key amongst all of them. Now, I don't necessarily mean the religious version of spirit, though it means that too, but more the idea of nourishing our hearts with those special rituals, smells, and feels that make us feel bigger than ourselves inside. Food is also a commonality amongst most cultural traditions. Take a moment and think about a food that's special to you at the holidays. Can you picture it? Can you smell it? I bet that you can almost taste it. Food is a very powerful connector to our memories, and the two pathways in the brain are strongly linked. There's lots of cultures that use fasting as part of their tradition. Muslim is one of them. One of my Muslim friends shared with me that they don't subscribe to the multiple days of fasting that sometimes practice, but instead they choose a single day and fast together as a family to represent that key part of the culture. Aboriginal culture also has a fasting component for some of their celebrations. 
Both traditions value the importance of food as being a privilege that needs to be recognized and be thanked um, for the creator, but are also very awesome at sharing feasts as a celebration of that sacrifice after the fasting is done. So linking all of these traditions together, we find family, food, connection, spirit, and what else? I would argue the most important, giving. Our holiday traditions involve us giving something of ourselves to others. Yes, I am talking about gifts, but I'm also talking about the gifts of time, charity, and the gift of emotional connection. My Muslim friend also shared with me that there's seven pillars of Islam and that one of them is charity. The pillars of Islam are lived throughout the year, not just during the holiday season. This giving is not only monetary or donations, but it's also time and knowledge. They give their time and knowledge to mentor and volunteer at various events and organizations. And every year they do an inventory to make sure items that they no longer use or need are donated to various organizations. I think that's pretty awesome. Emotional connection is a huge gift that's totally underrated. When grandma shares a story with the kids about her childhood traditions, this is a gift of memories that lasts for generations. One of my friends comes from the Indian tradition. She shared one of her methods for emotionally connecting with her partner and children and for preserving her traditional culture. She shared that she's very intentional in taking photos throughout her children's lives and especially around her traditional holiday of Diwali. Every year around the holiday season, she reviews photos with her children and shares stories of their family in India and their traditions. She said that her children absolutely love to look at their family photos and hear stories. It also helps them to connect the faces to the voices on the other end of the phone when they're talking back home to India. The holidays help us to create shared meaning with our intimate partners. Dr. John Gottman, yeah, my professional crush again, says that shared meaning is created when couples engage in rituals, goals, and symbols. One acquaintance shared that she and her intimate partner really enjoy following Iceland's tradition, where on Christmas Eve they open books and they read together. This is something that they look forward to every year. This is shared meaning. Shared meaning is about the meaning that you give those special moments in your life and how you honor those special moments every year forward. Maybe your shared meaning is sharing hot chocolate with your loved one in front of a roaring fire. Maybe it's dressing and matching Christmas onesies. And maybe it's taking a trip to a place where it doesn't physically hurt to breathe the air in winter. That sounds pretty romantic to me. <laughs> Take a minute and think about your favorite holiday ritual that you share with your partner. What feelings do those memories bring up for you? Sit with those feelings a minute, appreciate them. If you don't have any traditions or rituals with your partner yet, I say that it's time to start making some memories. I encourage you to approach your partner in open conversation. Explore with them what was important to them in their childhood holidays what you can incorporate into your current holidays that's just for you too. And some fun things that you could try together. You may have to sell them a bit on why rituals are important, but if you're able to, I promise it's gonna be worth the effort. There's beauty in this holiday season, but it's certainly not without its challenges. Remember in our communication episode when I talked about perpetual problems? As a reminder, 
Perpetual problems are those problems in your relationship that keep coming up over and over. Most of the problems in a relationship are unsolvable, perpetual problems. The importance is how the problems are discussed and managed rather than if a solution has been developed. During the holiday season, your perpetual problems will rear their ugly head. They will. It's just a thing. It's going to happen. But what are some concerns in your relationship that come up over and over? Can you think of any? As we approach the holiday season, have a game plan of how you'll approach these perpetual issues when they come up. If you haven't listened to my communication episodes yet, I'd recommend that you do. I think they could be really helpful for talking about these things over the holiday season. What I really love is Indian culture that says that you give more than 100% to your relationship and you do everything you need to do to make it work. This is a really good model and it's one that we can learn from in addressing perpetual relationship problems. When you enter a serious and committed partnership with your loved one, you're creating a new family unit. It's completely normal to want to create new family traditions with your new family. Doing your own thing is how you establish yourselves as a couple and create a new and independent unit. This unit is tied to each member's family of origin, but it's also an entity in and of itself with its own rules, rituals, and commitments. Though this is a very normal thing to create new traditions, it can be really challenging for families of origin. So I want you to imagine that your children have left. They've grown up, they've left the nest, and the holidays are coming. You've always had a big family dinner happening on Christmas Day at 6 p.m. It's been this way for as long as you can remember. You phone your eldest child to remind them of dinner, and they say that they can make it on that particular day because they've been asked to attend your child's spouse's parents' home for dinner. Logically, you know that your children have to spend time with their in-laws as well as with you. After all, this is how it went for you with your in-laws, but you're still crushed. The emotions of grief and disappointment here are absolutely valid for you. But your child's needs to spend time with their in-laws is also valid. You can choose to approach the situation with drama and give your kids guilt. But what goal does this achieve? If your goal was to get your kid to choose you over the in-laws, you may succeed, but your child won't be meeting you with genuineness and may not meet you with happiness and gratitude. It's important to ask yourself, what's my goal here? I bet that your goal is to spend quality time with your child. That's completely reasonable. I recommend responding with empathy. One empathetic response might be to say, I understand that it's hard to juggle requests to be at multiple family gatherings. How can we work together to find a time to have ours so that you're able to be present for both? An even more helpful response is if the parents of both children in the relationship speak in advance and coordinate family events so that the couple is able to be at both and not feel guilty for their attention being divided. This becomes even more challenging for couples if one or both members is from a divorced family. Now our couple has to contend with scheduling supper with mom, mom's family of origin, dad, dad's family of origin, and the in-laws. You following me here? Super confusing and places a lot of guilt on the couple. Whether there is pressure or not from the parents to spend time at the holidays, children of divorce always have and always will hold immense guilt for not equally balancing time and affection with each of their parents. 
The guilt becomes compounded when they have the addition of in-laws who also want to dedicate a lot of time because they're becoming a new family, right? You want to dedicate time to your in-laws. They're part of your family too, and you need to get to know them and relate to them. Struggles with children of divorced parents is very common and very real, and truly the remedy to the situation depends on the individual situation. Things also become even more complex if you and your spouse are divorced with children and each of you remarry. Now where we're mixing in, it's even more complicated scheduling. Do the parents and the step-parents of the children get along? Is there toxic parenting here? Do the kids feel pressured to favor one parent over the other? People are understandably attached to the meaning behind their rituals. And if these rituals are interrupted or changed, the emotions that come along can be very passionate and very real. Holidays do not have to involve travel. They're a break from the everyday routine, but travel is also very common, as I mentioned. Holidays are depicted on the media as defining moments in a family's life a realm of peace to either build romance together as a couple or to build those perfect family moments like we see in the holiday Christmas specials. But what if the moments aren't perfect? What if it doesn't look like it does on TV? Some of my husband's favorite movies are the National Lampoon's movies. And National Lampoon's Family Christmas has always been a childhood staple watched every year in his family. And now I'm part of that family. It's my tradition too. And I look forward to it every year. We approached our family vacation out east this summer with the expectations fitting of the Griswolds rather than the expectations fitting of Hallmark. And we were certainly not disappointed. You see, we had the brilliant idea of driving across the country and back about 3,800 kilometers each way with a two-year-old and a newborn. There were a whole lot of situations that tested us as a couple on the trip. But I want to share my favorite with you because it's both hilarious, soul-crushing, and relevant to the concept of how defining moments in family vacations are not the ones we think they're going to be. I have this story from both my perspective and my hubby's because we shared our war stories after the fact. I also have his permission to share this story. So sit back and listen as your surprise case study for today becomes, well, me. <laughs> So, Hubby and I are finishing up a long day of driving. A six-hour day, so one of our moderate-length days, but still absolutely exhausting. As we pull into the driveway of our Airbnb for the night, I am incredibly irritable because I've been listening to two very unsettled kids for the past 30 minutes, knowing and praying that we'd be stopping soon. To our disappointment, we ended up with a very small Airbnb, with hazardous stairs and bedrooms and bathrooms on opposite levels. I was already one very tired mama and I was staring down an evening and a night of challenge navigating our very busy two-year-old throughout this house. My husband was visibly tired as he had driven the entire trip and he was beginning to get a headache. We then looked at each other and realized it's late evening, we're staying in a town with no store and the nearest grocery store is a half hour away. We have zero food for the evening, and we're all starving. Hubby asks if I have everything from the van. I say yes, and he heads back out to drive into town for food. Oh, did I mention that there is no stove in the kitchen? <laughs> Both kids are screaming. I get them up the stairs, 
I put on the TV in a desperate hope to chill out the toddler. P.S. It doesn't work. And then the baby hits a whole new level of unhappy. Oh crap, he's hungry. Where did I leave those bottles? Oh no, the bottles and the formula are in the van and the van is now halfway to the grocery store. I spend the next 15 minutes doing everything in my power to settle this little squishy screaming bomb that's beginning to turn purple because he's not happy with mama. My toddler at this point thinks it's an awesome idea to scream and try and throw herself down the insanely dangerous stairs because this is going to somehow make her brother stop crying. It had the opposite effect and an unintended effect of making mama start crying. By this point, I was ready to put my pride aside and message my husband to ask where he was. A big relationship lesson came from this situation. You see, I wanted so desperately to be angry with my husband because he wasn't there right now. Because somehow in my fight and flight state, my brain had rationalized that he must be taking his time. He must be taking a time out from us and our very challenging children. And he was intentionally leaving me in this hell. Instead, I recognized this was a very highly stimulating situation, and I knew that to be one of my triggers for anger and anxiety. Instead, when I texted him, I said, hey you, just checking to see where you're at and to come back as soon as you're able. I love you. I wanted to text, hey you selfish jerk, how are you enjoying your vacation away from crazy? Get your lazy butt back here and do your job as a parent. Instead, I calmly explained that the bottles were in the vehicle and that the baby was losing it. After hearing how my husband's trip into town went, I'm so, so glad I didn't go with my very incorrect assumption that this situation was intentional. Hubby shared with me that on his way into town, he ran into construction, which slowed him down a bit. And then he got the text message from me explaining what was going on. By that point, he'd been driving for almost a half hour and was just arriving into town and had no clue where the closest grocery store was. He explained that when he got the text from me, he totally panicked and he felt horrible knowing the situation I could be facing at home. He'd spent time alone with our children before and he knew just how challenging they can be. He shared that he put grocery stores, the word grocery stores, into the GPS app and followed it all the way across town to a funeral parlor. A funeral parlor? The grocery store at that location had closed years ago and the internet wasn't updated. He finally found a grocery store though and he raced in having no clue as to the layout of it and needing to keep in mind that we didn't have an oven at home. He stood in a lineup of 10 people with one cashier of course and raced out of the store. At that point, his stress was building because he knew what I was going through at home and felt guilty that he couldn't get to me faster. He got in the vehicle and he started to come back. Then, oops, we are out of gas, like beyond empty out of gas. And we had to leave really early the next morning. He had no choice but to stop. He does that and then he races home as fast as he can. And with a smirk, when he's telling me the story qualifies, this driving home fast with a number of how fast he drove. Um, I won't repeat the number here, <laughs> but it was a 30 minute drive for sure. By the time he got back to me, I'm a hysterical puddle in the corner, sob giggling. No, sob giggling, yes, you heard me right. Not just the ugly kind of crying, sobbing. 
but sobbing and giggling combined because this situation it honestly it's just straight out of the movies sob giggling yes i've coined this phrase <laughs> he's coming up the stairs with an already prepared bottle and i swear he almost face plants at the top because he's coming so fast the look of concern on his face was real and he immediately scooped me into a big hug because he knew that's what i need to calm down when i'm really elevated when he came rushing up those stairs i could have met him with anger because i was just so done from what i was experiencing but i didn't know the battles that he fought to get to me the moral of the story is a few things one we don't know what battles our partners are fighting for us and for our family so we can't meet them with the assumption that we know thing two we have to meet partnership challenges like mine and my husband's family vacation as a team it makes it easier and number three our idea of the perfect family vacation being more like the griswolds set us up to see events such as this one as challenging but also comedic and a way to give us more strength our vacation was not the idyllic one promised to us from society we sat in each other's arms after the kids fell asleep and debriefed on what happened to each of us that day I was so thankful that I met him in gratitude instead of my initial reaction to be angry with him. He was also thankful that he didn't meet me with anger because it was totally me that forgot those bottles and formula in the vehicle. He asked me if I had everything before he left. I said yes. I was wrong. <laughs> we decided that we were stronger for the experience and that we could chalk it up to one of those stories we hated in the moment but laugh about years later. Look at me laughing about it now. I love this story for all of its imperfections because it's a real representation of being in a partnership. Truly nothing though beats the flexibility needed by partnerships of mixed cultures with mixed traditions. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked by the couple. Do we want to honor both of our traditions or will we choose one? How do we make a choice like that? There is a very real concern that their culture is going to be lost and is going to be assimilated into the mainstream culture. If this couple chooses to keep aspects of both cultures, how will their family of, families of origin feel about this? When choosing which culture to represent or how to blend both, emotions can become very strong if historically those faiths have been in conflict. A very moderate example is me growing up out east where my grandparents would talk about the taboo of protestants and catholics marrying this obviously isn't the case anymore but it was normal for a long time let's take that to the next level and imagine a cultural blend of a christian individual and a jewish individual or a muslim individual and a christian individual things become a lot more complicated that's not to say that these partnerships don't work together they absolutely do they just have to deal with a lot more baggage than other ones. If these individuals are choosing to have children, what aspects of each culture do they want to pass on to their children? And how will they pass this on? In Indian culture, the wife becomes part of the husband's family and is expected to primarily attend events with them. The mother-in-law holds a very important role in the family and is a leader in her son's family. This could be incredibly challenging if you don't have a good relationship with your mother-in-law and it puts a lot of stress on the couple. But it was explained to me that it's also very beautiful because mom always has help with the kids and the kids develop a very close relationship with their grandma. 
It's very common for many couples with mixed culture to keep a part of their culture of origin in their Canadian life by cooking traditional foods, watching traditional TV shows, or listening to traditional music. Many adopt the Christmas holidays as their time to celebrate their traditional holidays because it's a very common time for everyone in the family to have off work. Many also really like aspects of the Christmas holidays, so they don't mind having a blend of cultures in the home. Interfaith relationships are incredibly common, with studies indicating as many as 50% of couples classify themselves as interfaith. There's many challenges in marrying interfaith relationship in managing interfaith relationships. But interestingly, one challenge is with having holiday meals. Let's use kosher as an example. What if one spouse needs to eat kosher? Either the other spouse must change their needs to meet the needs of the spouse eating kosher, or we're eating separate meals at the holidays. Some cultures see sharing the same food to be an essential aspect of holiday bonding and that separate meals make this meal seem less community driven. A possible solution to this that many interfaith couples choose is that they practice both holidays at their respective extended family's home. They're able to keep the experience of the Christmas holiday outside of their homes, but to keep directly in their homes their respective cultures and traditions. It can be extremely difficult to keep Christmas out of the home, as it's such a dominant part of our Canadian society. So many interfaith couples simply accept Christmas as an additional holiday. My Indian friend described it as Christmas being her children's holiday, but she's more than happy to share in the children's joy of the holiday season. She loves that her kids are happy. The key is that interfaith couples make compromises that work from them and their unique structure. Some consider Christmas their holiday because they believe in the traditional Christian Christmas story and they want to keep it first in their celebrations. Others keep Christmas as their holiday because they like the festivities, the decorations, food, and music. There's no correct way to do the holiday season as an individual, as a couple, or as a family. You need to do you and what works for your family. Even if you both identify with the same family traditions, Another couple identifying with the same traditions may celebrate differently from you because they're going to have aspects of that tradition that speak uniquely to them. And they're going to ensure those are part of how they structure the holidays. Happy couples take joy in celebrating each other's special holidays. Bringing both holidays into the home if you have children is something I strongly encourage and studies actually show that children of interfaith families are reported to have broader worldviews and they're more culturally aware. How great is that? The holiday season, though, it, it's not always happy for everyone. It's a reminder of family gatherings that are either no longer or never was. The smiling faces of the people around us trigger memories of smiling loved ones that aren't with us anymore. Family traditions and rituals can feel meaningless without our loved ones around. What if Christmas holds bad memories from your childhood or for your partner from their childhood? What if you or your partner have no memories at all because you never had any family traditions? So I wanna invite you to consider if your partner doesn't seem on board with the holidays, there just might be something else going on here. Now this doesn't mean that you should actively avoid participating in the holiday season. I've always had a very tenuous relationship with Christmas. My partner, on the other hand, absolutely loves Christmas. 
The difference in how our brains perceive the holiday season can be illustrated best by how we feel when we listen to Christmas music. When my husband listens to Christmas music, he feels joy, excited, and open. When I listen to Christmas music, I immediately have a profound feeling of sadness. I lose my energy, and I want to close up. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't listen to Christmas music. I totally do, and I totally sing along with it. But I do this in the effort that with time, I'm going to begin to feel those good feels that others have when they hear holiday music. It's getting better with time. I'm also a mother, and just because I have a tenuous relationship with the holidays does not mean that my children should have it. Our kids pick up on the messages, overt or not, that we're sending about how we feel about the holidays, and if we're deflated by it, they're going to be deflated by it. Any positive Christmas memories that we have as children, that Christmas magic that we describe, it's totally a result of the efforts that our parents put into the holiday season. I'm trying to be mindful to put lots of effort into the holidays and encouraging the joy that I'm starting to see in my daughter around the holiday season. I see it as mine and my husband's personal responsibility to bring my children the magic of the season. If you're supporting a partner who has trouble during the holidays, I hope that you continue to build holiday magic into your life. And if you're like me and you struggle during the holidays, please appreciate the effort that your spouse puts into keeping the magic in the season. I really appreciate my partner injecting Christmas into my life. He's reminding me of the beauty of the holidays and he's teaching me the meaning of family and tradition. And for this, my love, I'm going to be eternally grateful to you. The magic of the holidays that I speak of, it's not dependent on presents, but a focus on presents is very normal for kids. It's easy for kids to identify with the concept of presents because it's a tangible thing. Kids have trouble with abstract concepts like joy, connection, or spirit. These are the things that adults associate with Christmas because we have lots of maturity to learn these things and we have the brain capacity to understand it. Kids may seem selfish on their focus on presents, but it's more of a reflection of their development than their morality. We can introduce our children to the abstract concepts surrounding the holidays by focusing on the concept of giving and charity. The magic can be in the form of music, food, game nights, hugs, kisses, silly jokes, and genuine connection with our kids. These are things that we can pass on to our children. Holiday celebrations don't have to be big things. Studies show that even the seemingly smallest family traditions matter just as much as the big ones. Family holidays are marketed as having to be different, more significant, or more special than the average day. I feel like this during the Christmas season where I totally break my eat in moderation rule and make everything special food because it's the holiday season. Why, yes, I will have half a jug of the full-fat eggnog because it's the holiday season. Why, absolutely, I will have the full rack of ribs. Bacon is indeed another food group on its own, but only for the holiday season. Okay, maybe all the time. This marketing as the season needing to be different or to feel different leads to disappointment when our holiday season isn't as special as we feel it should be. And sometimes our expectations are very high, almost too high. Do you also get that massive feeling of letdown after it's all over? There was this huge build and days on end of this special time, and then suddenly it's done. Nothing. 
Arguments between intimate partners can happen if we feel that our partner isn't making the holidays special enough, or maybe isn't putting enough effort into it. We have a lot of pressure on us from society to make the holidays count and to do them right. But who sets this definition of what's right? What are we trying to, why are we trying to meet these abstract societal expectations of what Christmas is supposed to be? We literally run ourselves ragged, put ourselves into financial distress, and make a lot of compromises that we don't want to, all in the name of doing the holidays right? I don't know. As I mentioned before, you need to do you for the holidays and what is reasonable for your partnership to manage. If you honor you and who you are as a couple and what values you cherish as a couple, you're going to come out of the holidays feeling good about it instead of let down. You do you. So I want to invite you to think right now. What are you going to bring this holiday season as a couple? What are you going to bring to the holidays? What meaning are you going to assign to this season? What values do you want to embody? I want you to sit with this a minute. It's helpful to set your intention going into the holiday season, whenever that season begins for you. You may have to remind yourself of the intentions you set along the way as you run into challenges, and this is normal. No one's holiday season is smooth. It is normal for conflict in partnerships around the holiday season. It doesn't mean the end. It just means that you need to mentally hold on going into this season. Hold on to your principles. Hold on to your values. Hold on to what nourishes your spirit. And most of all, my dear friends, hold on to your partner. Because together in partnership, you've got this. Thanks for listening today. If you have any comments or anything you'd like to add to this episode, please check out our Facebook page. Special thanks to those of you who took the time to talk to me and to share your stories and to share with me your culture for the benefit of everyone. You know who you are. I'm really grateful to you. Thank you for spending time with me today, and I wish you all the best as we enter this holiday season. Take good care.